Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we talk about an artist or a band. And this week we're talking about Stevie Wonder. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... I'm Lil Dax. Jared. This is Tyler. And once again, we're talking about Stevie Wonder, not Little Stevie Wonder, but we can maybe touch on Little Stevie Wonder. How did everybody feel about listening to Stevie Wonder this week? I thought it was all right. I just was, all right. What? I've never <laughs> been into uh, <laughs> funk that much. It's not funk. R&B style music. And I like some things, but I'd never listened to the double album that we listened to before all the way through. But there were more songs that I knew than what I kind of thought I did, based like on the titles. He has like sure. five hundred number one hits. He sold over a hundred million records. Yeah. <laughs> why, are we, why are we throwing information at Jared in a way that he should? He was all to. offended, and uh, so I figured I'd just jump on his train for once. Oh, okay. Because it's normally I'm just all over him, but today I figured I'd help him out. Even though for me it was just okay as well. Really. Oh my god! I said Stevie Wonder. I like the I like the hits. I like his early jazz stuff's kind of fun. I like, and then he did some return to jazz on a couple of songs later on, especially uh, songs the key of life. But uh, all in all, it's kind of repetitive, really. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of really, long. Like some of the songs yeah, are very. Some of long. them are long, and it's uh, I mean, it's mostly pop songs with uh, funk undertones, essentially. And uh, and he's a soul. It's kind of an interesting mix, I guess, because it's they're pop songs. But he is a soul singer, and you can tell because he sings like a soul singer. Right. But then he's got some of these funk bits in there. But all in all, when you listen to it at surface level, it just sounds kind of like a pop song. Like a lot, they all are just like pop songs, which is not bad. I mean, he's a very prominent pop artist who affected many pop artists and, and inspired many pop artists and and inspired many sounds in modern pop. So, you know, credit where credit is due, of course, but. Dax, it sounds like you were pretty excited about Stevie Wonder. I love Stevie Wonder. There it is. Wow. Oh my God. I'm take back. Uh, Jared, you're the whole man in the hundred record. Taking it back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so for Stevie Wonder, we primarily covered the classic era of Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. was... Uh, I would say 71, because we covered 70, which is Science Seal Delivered, still kind of in the range of doing the Motown sound. Yeah. His label, of course, through and through, other than I think um, Hotter Than July, I believe, mm-hmm. was the only one that was not directly released by Motown. But I think that it was still like a Motown affiliate. Well, his first records were released on the Motown affiliate. Tom Fall, I believe. Timlo. Timlo. Is that what it was? Timlo? Tam- How do you pronounce Ta- that? Tamlo. Tamlo. But it's still, yeah. I mean, it was, that Tamlo. was the original. So that was the original label. Yes. And then he, the, the creator of Tamlo then created Motown. And so he made that the overarching yes. company was Motown. Yes. And then that made Tamlo the, the sister company of... Motown. We're right. talking about Barry Gordy. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you want to talk about when uh, Stevie Wonder got signed? I think that's kind of interesting. Go for it. Uh, he was eleven, and he played. Uh, his mom had him play a song for someone. I can't remember. It was a singer, but that singer took him to Barry Gordy, and Barry Gordy was yes, and he- immediately. 
He held, he held up an 11-year-old it, Stevie Wonder to it, them. And he said, yeah. listen to this boy sing. He it held was, him by the, the nape of the neck. Listen he to started it. wailing. It and was, was sung like, for Ronnie White of the mm. Miracles. Because oh, okay. his mother was a singer. Mm. She, was a, she was a songwriter. Lula May Hardaway was a songwriter as well. Huh. Yeah, he was a bit of a prodigy. He, I mean, he's, yeah, for sure. He was in music for a long time. Yeah, he's been around yeah, forever years since he was eleven years old, and he's like seventy now. Yes, yeah, he is. Si- Sixty years. Yeah, I like uh, how his debut album is called "Tribute to Uncle Ray" mm-hmm. to try and capitalize on Anno playing. Is There's lots his, of similarities there. Yeah. Is that and his the, actual first album? It's the or first second, one on Spotify. First one, okay. It's it's the second album. The first album that he had is the jazz soul of little yeah the oh little, little yeah because Stevie. he wasn't little that, Stevie then I guess right. I think he had already well he's still on Spotify it still pops up little Stevie Wonder but yeah you're right about that that album I could be wrong about this and this will blow you away mm-hmm. I believe that I saw that the album tribute to Uncle Ray mm-hmm. is not about Ray Charles. No, that's not. I read it was. Oh, is it? What did you read? Something I read different? somewhere that it was not. But did I... you read it was about barbecue chips? What? <laughs> Isn't there? There's a barbecue. <laughs> I did not read that. That's the is biggest. Ray Ray barbecue chips. Some kind of Ray's. Ray? <laughs> Ray's barbecue. Sweet no. baby Ray's. What's the other one? There's a Lay's. No, no, no. The other one. Lay's. The Cincinnati-based one. What's that one Grippos. Called? Yeah, you're right. That, I don't know Grippos. what I'm thinking. I don't have any idea what you're thinking, and I'm not sure how we got <laughs> like to where we are now. It up. Did you hear about that song? Oh, yeah, most people think it's about Ray Charles, but it's really about barbecue chips. I was wrong. What? What a spoiler, little Stevie. How dare you ruin it like that. Build us all up, playing off the prominence of barbecue chips to try to win. I when could be hearts. wrong. Let's just leave it at that. I could be wrong, but I thought I saw it somewhere. This Not says that it says the album was an attempt by Barry Gordy and Motown to associate the young little Stevie Wonder with the successful and popular Ray Charles, who was also a blind African American musician. Well, there you go. Is this a time to talk about a theory? Can we get <sighs> it out of the way? Do we have to? Yeah. Very briefly. It's not real. It's just. Yes. Very briefly. Right, it's, his, it's his show. Yeah, there is a theory. I haven't done a conspiracy theory in a while. I've held myself back. But th- there is a theory that Stevie Wonder can see. Uh, there's lots of evidence. If you Google it, there's all over it. There's a picture of him taking a picture of Michael Jackson. Like he's holding up a camera. It's great. But the theory goes that um, either Barry Gordy or his mom or someone like way back in the line when he first started uh, saw the popularity of Ray Charles. And they were like, you know what? If you were blind, you'd be popular. Hey, go pretend you're blind. And hmm. he pretended he was blind for an album. And then it got popular. So for he was 70 like, years. Well, this is my life now. Do you know how I know that's not true? How is it not true? Because he has he has been affected by retinopathy of prematurity. He was born six months premature. And his retina stopped developing. That's that, why he's blind. That's the story. That's the story. It's on medical record. Now, Dax, let me say really quickly, because I believe we had a conversation about this yesterday, mm-hmm. and I want to just make sure that we uh, outline this. Do you remember us having a conversation about why it's problematic to associate with the theory? Uh, well, it, about most conspiracy theories, really. Yes. That, so most conspiracy theories, I, I heard this talked about, uh, are there to bring down minorities. 
So you got uh, Stevie Wonder. That would be a hit for blind people and black people. It would discredit a whole, like a whole inspiration. You got Beyonce, who they say is in charge of the Illuminati. Uh, what what else you got? Oh, the birther thing with Obama. That's a good one. Uh, what about the Kennedy assassination? Uh, White some, people through and through. A Catholic. Uh, well, that's true. I suppose. Back at that time, but it's more like the been. government, really. Yeah, keeping the government. Than it is about ca- the Catholic, because Kennedy was a Catholic. Yeah. Point He's, being is, is if you attest to the Stevie Wonder is not blind or is not blind mentality, then there is something innately problematic about it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. All mm-hmm. conspiracy theories, most at least, are problematic. Especially birds aren't real. That's a problematic one. If the variant? Yeah. Fools. <laughs> it. It is a funny theory, as most are. Like a Paul's not dead thing. You know, there's there are some fun ones. Now, I I don't want to. I don't subscribe to the idea of it. But the like Anthony Anderson, the comedian from Kangaroo Jack, uh, <laughs> he said that he believes that Stevie Wonder can see because he lost a celebrity basketball game to him. Yep. Which is, <laughs> but he did it on a bit on a late night show. It was a free throw yeah. match. So uh, that's not. And then another one, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Who, according to him, lived in the same building as Stevie Wonder. He walked onto an elevator where Stevie Wonder was, and he said, "How you doing, Shaq?" Like those are funny. Like on the a part of the video on YouTube, that is a funny bit. But to try and propagate that this is a true thing, right, is problematic. But if you're watching it through the lens of comedy, as you should with everything, then it you know, just do it that way. But don't try and say that it's a, a reality it is problematic and i agree with that okay yeah move on move on so as i said almost 10 minutes ago we musically mostly covered the classic era of the 70s mm-hmm. yeah for stevie wonder which is really where the majority of his music existed was i mean he well, was majority of the good all the good music listed existed right there. he had i believe 15 albums before we even started listening to his music because he had so much music that he released in the 60s but a lot of it was just kind of him getting to a point really i believe that we started when he hit 20 Mm. and so you know at that point he was kind of more of a well-developed and um i would say individualistic singer where he was able to kind of branch out and not do what Motown wanted him to do. He was able to start doing his own production, his own instrumentation, his own writing, so on and so forth. Part of that comes from the fact that because he was a child when he first got a... uh, a, Record uh, deal? uh, Yeah. What's the... I couldn't think of the word. A contract. Uh, You know, they put... The royalties were in a trust up until his 21st birthday. And then, of course, at the approaching his 21st birthday, he allowed the the initial contracts, which were five-year renewals, to expire. And then negotiated a new contract with Motown. And therefore, that allowed him. Not only did he get increased royalty rights and payments, but he also probably got more freedom at that point as well. Right. Which is where that was in 1971. So all of his subsequent albums would have been the albums in in the classic period. Right. Sign Seal Delivered, like, has the big hit on it, but for the most part is not a super impressive album. Because it's still in line with all of that, but it was still worth giving a listen to one of his more prominent 
albums within that range of music from right. my perspective. So we at least have kind of an idea of what kind of music it was covering. But really, it didn't, for me, it didn't really get interesting until probably Talking Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that uh, where I'm coming from and music in my mind were, you know, solid releases. And I could see that he was on his way to something really creatively interesting. But I think that Talking Book is when he really started to come into his own. I don't know where anybody else thought that things got more interesting or if you thought that things ever got more interesting. I liked Talking Book. I thought it was uh, pretty good. I liked Inner Visions as well. I think I liked um, yeah, I, I probably the most songs I liked would be Songs in the Key of Life from you know the double album. Which makes sense because but, you've got a lot of songs. And it is considered his best album. album. Uh, well, I don't know. It depends on who you're asking. Rolling Stone's list of top 500 albums of all time put Intervisions above Songs in the Key of Life, which Intervisions is my favorite of his albums. I think it's a pretty good album. It's a solid album for sure. I, I liked Living for the City. That was a great mm-hmm. song. That's that, a fun song. I believe, is my favorite song. Hey, there you go. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the transition. Shall Je- we play it? Jesus, Children of America. Play that song. You want to play Jesus, Children of America? No, your song, but I'm saying I was, I was using say- the title tr- of that song to segue into your song. Well, that doesn't make sense because then you said the name of the song and then said play that song. That sounds like something that the grandpa on Courage the Cowardly Dog would say. What, Dan? <laughs> Eustace? Jesus, children of America. <laughs> Let's play Living for the City. In hot damn Mississippi, surrounded by for one that ain't so pretty His parents give him love and affection To keep him strong, moving in the right direction Living just enough, just enough for the city That is a just, I love his vocal performance on that song. It is probably one of his best vocal performances from my perspective. Mm-hmm. So I, I it tells also, a good story too. It does. That's one thing that I wanted to uh, state for him is that he, by talking book, really started to have a lot more interesting um, songwriting and was talking more about sociopolitical type of things. And so I, I appreciate his ability to have a voice with his music. Rather than just because I I think I talked about this on the Bill Withers episode, and it's just one of those things where a lot of artists spend too much time on like love and relationships. And I find it to be one of those things like because really that album fulfilling this first um, fulfilling this first first finale. finale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that album was directly based on him singing songs about like relationships and love and so on. Yeah, I found that one to be a little dull, quite honestly. I did, too. Dex, did you like that album or? Uh, I don't think I had any. No. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what's on that. Let me hold on. There's not a lot of big hits on that one. No. Too shy to say, creepin'. Mm-hmm. I believe that one of the bigger songs is Boogie on yeah. Reggae Woman. Yeah, I was about was, to say I liked okay. that song, but that was like that album didn't stand out that much. I like the idea of heaven is ten zillion light years away. Yeah. Like how much further? <laughs> Could have been a hundred zillion. Should have been. More accurate, if you ask me. But yeah, since I find his music more compelling when he's sending a message with his music, and I think that the majority of his music during this classic era is doing that. Yeah. 
So I think that that's what, to me, not just sonically, but also lyrically, is making this music so interesting. Oh, really? He, he was an activist. He was, like, participating in marches and rallies right. and all sorts of things. He pushed to get uh, Martin Luther King Day, a national holiday. Uh, he was a big voice in that. He did a lot of stuff, and it showed through in his music. I agree. Very true. I think... Uh... Well, you know, we we missed in the playlist this week Uptight, mm-hmm. which That's is one of his. It is a good song. It's a good classic Motown song of his early period and good good track. And then uh, when it got to Signed, Sealed, Delivered, it's not bad. That the title track is, I mean, that song is really good. That's a good song. It's a big song. Yeah, it is. It's quite good. The rest of the album is not bad. It kind of sound honestly. The rest of the album is very similar to that song, in style and and in the way it sounds. And then uh, it does, I mean, there's definite change on where I'm coming from, but I find it to be kind of, uh, it's not really reined in. It's not really solidified. Sure. It's just kind of like, here's some weird stuff that I'm putting out there. And I wasn't right. a huge fan of some of it. Uh, it got, I don't know. I just found it to be a little too much and maybe not quite working. Once you get to music on my mind, for me, it starts, it really starts to smooth out. I'm not a huge fan of that album. But it, you can tell that it's, it's smoothing out and he's hitting the groove. And then by talking book on uh, through the rest of the 70s, you know, it's, I mean, even on fulfilling his first finale, there's still, you know, the quality of the music is still quite good. It's still, Absolutely. You know, even though it's a little bit dull in terms of content otherwise, it's still good. But starting at, with talking book on. I find it to be more interesting. And, talk, and Talking Book's pretty good. But like I said, Inner Visions is really, really hit for me. Songs in the Key of Life is good. There's good songs on there. There's some lighthearted. Isn't She Lovely is a great a lighthearted hit. Oh, yeah, yeah it's song. a great song. Uh, Sir Duke is a good song. Core. The, the hits off of there are great. Yeah. And, but it's a hair long for me. That album's just a hair long. It doesn't. It's still changing a little bit. It does explore a little bit different styles than I think we've seen a little bit. It, mm-hmm. I think it leans a little more pop-heavy. Than the, than the rest of his work in the 70s, maybe. Only parts of it, though. Well, really. there are some songs that return to jazz, which are in some of it is a bit of a new, even though it's kind of weird to say new jazz in the 70s, but yeah. for the era, new jazz. He's got a couple of new jazz songs in there. That I mean, are there's some, there were some new jazz artists that existed around that time, yeah. but go on. So uh, it's pretty varied, which makes it more bearable, certainly. Uh, but it, part of the issue of it is, is that it's a double album. And in the way we listen to music today, where we have Spotify, you don't listen to it in the same way. No. There's both sides have their own, you know, both discs in the double album would likely have their own feel and style. They do. And you can listen to them independently, mm-hmm. you know, like disc two of this double album can be its own, almost like a standalone, but we don't have that. You know, no. we don't listen to music in that way anymore. So it didn't feel too long for me, though. Like I was I was anytime that we have a double album, I dread it because I know it's going to take forever. But when I listened to it last night um, all the way through, I as I was getting through, I was like, oh, wow, I'm already, you know, like six tracks in or I'm already halfway. And it's like it kind of flowed well for me. Well, surprisingly, it's because there's a lot of, in an hour and 45 minutes. There are a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. So it's not like lo- sometimes people get into long songs into double albums. And in this case, he did not. Yeah. There but, were uh, like a few songs that I was, um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. There was one song that was like nine minutes and it was like an, a minute and a half of him just like talking to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I think we're past this conversation now. <laughs> so I skipped a little bit, but I will oh, admit, he, I will admit he did some skipping. Yep. 
it's, so it's all right. It, once once we got to, for instance, we the last song we listened to was, or the last album, I'm sorry, is, was hotter than July. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which by the time we get to there, it's it's it it's almost like he pushed into the 80s just as quickly as everyone else mm-hmm. in terms of changes in his music. I don't know. I thought the hotter than July was kind of underrated. I thought it was a pretty good album. I'm not, it didn't quite do it for me. It was okay. I thought I, it was okay. I just think that like, okay, so f- from my perspective, because there's a lot of story for songs in the key of life, which I'd like to expand on a little bit, but he spent a, he had a four year gap for his next album, which was pretty unheard of at that point in time. Uh, even a two year gap was pretty unheard well, of. Well, he had journey time. through the secret life of plants. I, we don't talk about that album. <laughs> that one, that one is pretty pretty panned by fans and critics. So it's the soundtrack to a film. If you guys didn't look into what that, I album saw was. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and most people did not appreciate it. It was mostly instrumental. I've never heard of uh, the movie, so I would imagine the soundtrack is not that memorable either. Right. But um, he took a, a majority wise four year gap. Mm-hmm. So thank thank you for Tyler correcting my uh yeah don't forget the secret life of pe- yeah. uh, of pets or plants, plants or whatever it's plants it is plants but I liked what you did there yeah um but I feel like he came back with a lot of really good energy on that album I feel like he he sounded very he very much like he took a break and he needed it and he you know came back and was ready to be in the studio when he came back well he studio. came back as the Stevie you see on the cover of it as well. Because he made a shift in the 70s into a different... Because he also is kind of a stylistic guy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and his the way he l- looked and dressed and appeared changed as his music changed and as his ideas changed. Because in the Motown era, he was a kind of a clean cut. He looked like a Motown guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was a clean cut kind of young kid. And then as he moved into the 70s and do his own things, he, he got longer hair. He changed some of his stylistic things. And uh, then when you get to the... To that album, man, he's full out. He's got them big red glasses on. He's looking like a superstar over there, looking like Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. He was he was feeling himself after songs in the key of life. I don't know. I think it was after the plants. I think the plants got him. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. It was the plants. Yeah, the plants got to him. I thought I thought Master Blaster Jammin' was a pretty decent song. And I, I enjoy the story of Happy Birthday. Cody yeah. kind of talked where Dax. Mm. I thought Master Blaster Jammin' was quite interesting since that one of the big Bob Marley and the Whalers hits is jamming. Yeah. And this is a reggae themed song. Yeah. So I was like, this is kind of, I was wondering where it was going to go when it came in. But, but yeah, he did the last track on Hotter Than July was a Happy Birthday, which he wrote for it to be the theme song of the Martin Luther King Day. Uh, it was a tribute to Martin Luther King telling him Happy Birthday. And he wanted it to be basically uh, a replacement, maybe not, maybe a, a standalone partnership with the original og happy birthday song i think at that point the happy birthday song was copywritten so oh really you could that's surprising really that's why like in all old tv shows um they make up weird happy birthday songs oh so were you allowed to sing it at parties uh yes but only if it wasn't televised huh i like uh i think my f- this is off topic but my favorite song that is celebrating something is the Flintstones happy anniversary song. Oh, that's a good one. That's but a great song. I'm surprised that you would think to bring that up yeah. here. But I mean, you know, happy birthday. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. 
I'll uh, I, I think I'll, I'll play my favorite song. So I listen. Is it I, the Flintstone song? No, that you play? no. I liked the song Higher Ground a lot more than what I thought. Like I I knew I knew the song, but I didn't know it by its name. So when it played, I was like, Oh, I know this song. And like I thought it was really good. But I want to play. Uh, you didn't su- know it by its name. I didn't know it by its name. We can talk when we after you play it. Superstition then. is my favorite. Song. Oh, right. you suck! That what? was my favorite. That song. That was my favorite. Well, no. you guys can find other songs. Oh you no! All three <laughs> picked his biggest hit. I know they're bad. None of you wanted to diversify from his biggest hit. It's a heck of a song. I, it's stuck in my head a lot. Jared, it I'm is. surprised you didn't pick Pastime Paradise. Yeah, Jared. Uh, I I mean I like the sample. A good song. We need to talk about that. Yeah, we will. but I didn't really like the song as much. Huh? We can I can do Higher Ground if everybody wants to yell at me about. No, no, no. Super yeah, choose your song, That's pal. Okay. I'll choose do a different one. Song. I'll do a different one. You didn't know Higher Ground by name? No, I didn't. How no, did I... you not know it by name? It's literally the. It's just funny that the Red Hot Chili Peppers, a funk-based alternative rock group, is covering Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground, a funk-based pop song, and they basically don't change it almost and it at all. it sounded awful. It sounded awful. It sounded as good with the... the I co- hated it. Who, uh, the Hot Red, Ch- Hot Red Chili, Chili Peppers? Peppers? Yeah, How have like you not... Song. You haven't heard that before? No. How no. have you not heard that before? I know. I found I that live, surprising that he had never heard that I either. He told me that. I, I can't know. believe you haven't heard Red Hot Chili Peppers' Higher Ground. I had never heard it, no. I believe it's on Guitar Hero. Oh. Wow. I think that might be correct. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have known it was them. I didn't realize it was them until this week. I knew that they. Had, I knew that it was a, a song. So I, I. Okay, here's the story. I was listening to the album, Intervisions. Yes. That song came on, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a really good song from him." Didn't somebody cover it? And then I looked it up, and I saw Red Hot Chili Peppers, oh and I was like, "There's no way that's the same cover." I listened to it, and it was like. This doesn't sound like them at all. It sounds like almost like a. I, I don't have any idea. It doesn't sound like them. No. The, the little, their guitar work in the beginning of the song, the riff is, I like. It's pretty good. Uh, but the rest of it's not super great. But they're not super great anyway. I used to like them when I was young, and I have grown. You grow, and you're like, I don't know why I listened to this funk alt garbage for so long because it's just like some of it is good, but some of it is definitely not worth it. I think growing but, up, I don't know how much we want to talk about Red Hot Chili Peppers, but growing up, um, I think <laughs> that I associate my how much I like them based on other things like the music video for Under the Bridge or the Weird Al parody and things like that. Like It wasn't until the um, Stadium Arcadium album in 05 that I liked actually like things that they did as opposed to like radio hits and things that they covered and oh, say I mean Californication like we can don't have to get into it but that's a good album but can anyway. I can I briefly I, I don't, I'm usually not the one to go off on a train but I actually want to tell a very brief Red Hot Chili Pepper story right. about the album Californication okay I had that CD mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that CD it's good and I was listening to it on a CD player as I was sleeping and I was woken up by my dad because he wanted to, he wanted to tell me that I should not listen to that oh album. My gosh. So I was woken up by my dad, who was like, "You know that Californication song?" And I was like, "Get out of my room! Go away!" Trying to listen to some Red oh Hot Chili goodness. Peppers. You're listening to Californication? Yeah, that yeah, album. Californication, fornication. Okay. It's not fornication. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know Californication. 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 I get it. You get it. Yeah. Okay. Is it about pornography, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Californianography. Mm-hmm. Hey, Californography. Jared, what's your favorite song? Superstition. What? What? Okay. Ah, oh, it's mine too, but whatever. Yeah, I'll pick a different one. 
Why don't you play that? You may remember that song from Eddie Murphy movie Haunted Mansion. I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah, Raven Simone did that. Yep. I uh, I shouldn't glorify this specific thing, but I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, that I found that the song "Superstition" by Stevie Wonder has a good rhythm for playing the knife game. Oh my! Hey, there you go. Everyone, go do that. Oh yeah. my! I'm saying I don't want to glorify that. Everybody, don't do it. Do it, but don't tell nobody. Don't tell us. And don't look at my Instagram where I did it. Yeah. I did stab myself in my Instagram video, so I don't recommend. That's a great song. I don't care what you say. I don't care if it's his most popular or not. Yeah. It's really good. There's a reason for it. Yeah, most people's most popular song, like, it's, like, garbage. Yeah. But that one, no, no, no. It's weird that that's his most popular, though, because it's not his most pop-driven song. That's a super funk song. Super funky. I didn't realize that was his most popular. Yeah. Well, how... huge. What would... It's difficult though to kind of say that because he's had so many number one. Yeah, hits. how do you go above? Yeah, like okay, so you have all the number one hits have to be in in one line, and then how do you say this number one? It would be based on like how much longer it was number one or how many songs it sold. But now you have what's the most streamed song? But that is a different timeline of popularity mm-hmm. for sure. So like if a song was number one for eight weeks and Superstition was number one for six weeks. That song theoretically would be more popular, but there are a lot of number one songs. I did. A, I was looking a few weeks ago about songs that were number two for the longest amount of time. And if you look at songs that were number one, number two songs, a lot of them are way bigger than songs that were number one for one week. There are songs that were number two for 11 weeks in a row and never could beat it. Like, you know, because there was something like Old Town Road, for instance, was number one for like six months. But if you have a song that was number two, for 11 weeks and you have a song that was number one for one week i would argue number two song more popular than the number one well, song i wouldn't number one I wouldn't for only one week. That. i would agree but with that's that. not the case that we have here yes i think i mean superstition is lauded across the web in various places as his most popular song mm-hmm. it has it has 365 million listens on Spotify. But that's, again, that's, the, I mean, I agree with Jared that that's a whole different well, metric yeah, for how but, popular it is. But if is. we look at it compared to currently, I mean, the current, what I'm saying is like its current popularity is mimicking its previous popularity because it, the mm-hmm. second most po- most popular song, Sign Sealed Delivered, has 266 million. Mm-hmm. So well, 1 million less listens. Yeah. A third less listens. No, 100 much. million. A hundred million. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, a hundred million less listen. Yeah, a hundred million less listens. A so, mere hundred thousand. A mere and a uh, hundred million. The same number as the number of albums he has sold worldwide across his career. It's. I'm sure that's a that's a about mm. a circa, if you will. About uh, superstition, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I find crazy about that: everything except the sax and the trumpet is Stevie Wonder. Wow. Mm. Yeah. 
He, so, I mean, he did a lot of his production and instrumentation for his albums, mostly by the time Talking Book came. But. You know what I like? His harmonica playing. Ooh, it's good. I, I really enjoy like that. that. Whenever that pops in there, I'm like, oh boy. Well, supposedly, supposedly their superstition is uh, the one of the best examples of what what was the instrument? The Honer clavinet keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best and most famous distinctive examples of the sound of that instrument, which he started to use a lot in the 70s. And when the, I think he was one of the first people to begin using that as well. He was one of the first people to popularize the use of synthesizer, I read. Yes, yeah. I, lo- I mean, I love that going from a piano player, like traditional <laughs> piano player, to using the synth the way he does is cool too because, I mean... They're similar, but not the exact same instrument. But right. for him to be so good at one and then be as prominently known in another instrument that's in the same category, you know, I don't know. It's like uh, the cowbell player from Blue Oyster Cult isn't known to be one of the best drummers. Right. You know, it's just that one that one instrument with that one song. But to be able to have the credibility throughout all those other instruments, like Stevie Wonder, is pretty cool. He's actually, I mean, he's been doing things even now, like up mm-hmm. to, you know, he had a song in the movie Sing uh, that came out in like 2016, the soundtrack for it. Uh, he did that song with Ariana Grande. So like even just four years ago, he had a song that was pop, you know, so he's been around in popularity for so long. It's pretty cool. Yeah. He's uh, he's just continued and continued to make albums. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't stop making them. Yeah, well, it, I don't know if I agree with that sentiment, though, because really what happened in a lot of ways. So here's a brief synopsis of the story of Songs in the Key of Life. Yeah. So he was releasing an album effectively every year for a really long time. Yeah. Just <laughs> like Neil Young. Yeah. Like a very, very long time. He was releasing album after album after album as a very young artist and he developed very, very quickly. And by the time that he finished the album, uh, fulfilling his first finale, he kind of started to consider not even going back into the studio and just calling it quits and just saying, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired. I've made a lot of music. Bill Withers. Yes. He wanted to, yes, he wanted to basically retire from music, but then he ended up, I was thinking about but what Bill Withers said about the pop chart and a pop tart. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> so there was a two year gap in between Fulfilling Us First Finale and Songs in the Key of Life. And Stevie Wonder is was one of the biggest artists in the seventies. When you look at it, Intervisions and Fulfilling Us First Finale was only one of two instances ever for an artist to win best album of the year back to back. Yeah. The only other person to have done that was Frank Sinatra. Yep. That is a big deal. And um he was you know so he was huge. He was massive during that time. So for him to take a 2 year gap in the 70s was a big deal. They made a big deal about it. They were like they made like t-shirts that said like it's coming. <laughs> like there it was like a very very hyped up thing for him to be doing. He spent a lot of time in the studio making that music like because, I mean, it's a double album, so he spent a lot of time in the production of it. And really, he never really came back in the same way after that album. So that was really his – the I mean, that was his peak. 
in a lot well, of his magnum opus, if you will. I don't Indeed. know because uh, according to I just looked up the song I just called to say I love you, which came out oh, in 1984. Nice. I was about to bring that up, and it remains Stevie Wonder's best-selling single to date, having topped a record 19 chart. So I mean, that was in '84. That his that single. I get what you're saying with the album. Yes, but we were talking about Superstition, for instance, it being his biggest song. Right. Record sale wise, I just called to say I love you is actually bigger theoretically. Right. My point is is that he didn't make. He didn't output music in the same way ever again. Oh, yeah. That's fair. His, but he didn't he have to. He stopped making... No, absolutely. And music didn't really work that way after that time either. Well, music really How many changed. records did the Beatles put out in that time period? You know, they put out sure. so many albums, and a lot of people did that in the 60s. You're like, yeah. Because the other thing about it is, like, same thing with, like, Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, all those people. They just pump out albums because... Bob Dylan. Yeah, Bob Dylan. But Bob Dylan actually... For that that time period, he wrote his own songs, although he did take traditional songs and, and sing those. But that's what I'm saying is that there's a difference between going in the studio and making songs that were already written and making your own album where you're writing everything in a time period. You're going in the studio, creating all the music like what Stevie Wonder did and all of that. Like It takes a lot of time. Yeah. But if you just go in, like Willie Nelson, he just sings songs that other people... That's I mean, that's how Nashville works a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash didn't really write very many. Elvis is the same way. Elvis didn't really write any of his songs. So he just went in the studio, released all this music that had already been written from other people, and then put his own spin on it. But you can pump out as many albums as you want if you have the studio time and put them out two of them in a year. Sure. You look at the timeline of people's records like that. Yeah. So you can't compare it. Stevie Wonder was just trying to make a name for himself in that time, and that's why he releases many albums, and especially the record label, too. They realized that the quantity wasn't as much as the quality once, you know, like, if you get a record like that that took that long, and it became as popular as it was, and they were like, hey, maybe we should take more time and make this better music. Right. Well, the thing is, too, is that, like, music at that point also shifted in a lot of ways, where, you know, Stevie Wonder was the big name in music. And really, by the time that Songs in the Key of Life was released, once that fall, the follow up to that is disco. Mm. Right. And then after the follow of that, it was pop music. And mm-hmm. it's never gone back. Like, music shifted after Songs in the Key of Life in a lot of ways. Cause that was a big album, a very big deal in 76. And so a lot, of, I mean, really, music just kind of changed following that album in a lot of ways and again it never it never really returned to that same style of music it just kept moving forward from there dax you want to play your favorite song sure i think i'm going to choose uh my sharia more pleasant little tune it is quite pleasant it was for his uh girlfriend uh, of the time which uh by the way ha- he's had a lot of girlfriends 
Yeah. Had a few wives. Yeah. Lots of kids. Nine. Nine kids. Nine. Nine kids. Nine kids. Nine kids. My With goodness. like five different women, I think. Three, I think. Well, three wives. Three potentially wives. kids with more than three women, I suppose. So yeah. he doesn't have the same magic power that Ray Charles did. Have you ever seen that movie? You know, in the movie where he grabs that girl's hand and he knows whether she's beautiful or not? Oh, right. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> what a weird thing to incorporate. A <laughs> terrible. Kind of, yeah. A truly terrible thing. Yeah. Wasn't that another thing we talked about, Dax? What was that? Uh, the idea of like making like uh, black people like mystical of some kind is also problematic. Did oh, we talk about yes, that? Oh, it is. I don't know. Yes. If this is yeah, a good that's idea. It, that could be problematic. It's a it's a movie trope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I was I thought that we had a conversation about, it, but I couldn't remember. We did. We it's did. not. It's not. It's not related here. to this music at all. So you know, mentioning I just called to say I love you, an '84 release that reminds me of that song's part in the movie, the 2000 movie High Fidelity. Hmm. Where the man walks in to buy a copy of that, the single of that for his daughter, and Jack Black totally destroys him. And then he asks the question of whether you can uh, forgive Stevie Wonder for his later career sins because of his early greatness. We, all, I don't know. I mean, we didn't listen to later career Stevie Wonder, but that song was on the playlist added later. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. You know, music changed, as you mentioned, and he never could come back. And it seems that he tried to do things to catch up occasionally. And I'm, and I think the quality of his music, basically from the late 70s on, has suffered for it. Hmm. I don't know what you all think. I mean, I've heard a few things. I haven't heard all of it, you know, but I've heard stuff. From I his. like the, I mean, I do, I do like the pop hits that he had during that period of time. He was on We Are the World, you know, that's a, that's well, a pretty sure. big song. So was, yeah. I mean. I know everybody else was too. Bob <laughs> Dylan was on there too. Uh, yeah, he looked like this the whole time. But uh, this is a, a a podcast where you, people hear voices, so maybe no faces. I just thought maybe you would silly, laugh. I just silly Billy. I just thought you might like it. But um, but yeah, he was on the song "That's What Friends Are For," the Dion Warwick song. That's pretty pretty big in the eighties. Yeah, I'm talking his works. No, I Him, know. I'm just his works. I don't know. I don't have any opinion on it. No, nobody nothing. else does either. I like uh, how I don't know if they had any kind kind of connection. Other than the record label, um, but there would be no Michael Jackson without Stevie Wonder. Oh, absolutely! A child well, sure. turned um, star. You know, Stevie Wonder had to do it first. Same label of Motown. They did a song together in the eighties. Um, they did uh, the song "Get It" uh, off of his album "Characters," which came out in eighty uh, seven. So it was post. Most of Jackson, probably Jackson was on there to try and boost Stevie Wonder's career sure. as opposed to the, other you know, way the opposite. But I would imagine Michael Jackson probably recognized how much he had to credit Stevie Wonder. Oh, absolutely. Well, there would be no modern pop without Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Really, he changed too. pop music, you know. Drastically. Drastically, yeah, and in, in its entirety. But, he, but I mean. In the, fact, he was the first Michael Jackson in a way. Oh, if yeah, I know. That's about, what I'm saying. You know, yeah. I mean, like, but I'm saying for. A child, 12 years old, 11 years old, to become a big star like that, it had to be done first by somebody. And, you know, Barry Gordy found both of them. Right. But even beyond that, because Stevie Wonder, I mean, in a lot of ways, had it not been for Stevie Wonder, Motown would have remained where it was. Mm -hmm. And Well, they had Marvin Gaye on there who was doing some work in the late 60s into early 70s. That's true. He was really doing a lot of work. Marvin Gaye is also a very important name to mention in in that same conversation, so I'm glad you bring that up. 
Um, but really, the him going in the sonic direction that he did and blending so many different things into his music, nobody else was really doing what he was doing no. for soul music. And, you know, that heavily influenced its ability to be within the pop sphere of conversation. I, I mean, yeah, it, it, pop music really didn't, like... I don't want to say pop music didn't exist in the 70s, but he was a big catalyst for its development. Well, it was a lot different. I mean, Motown was pop music. Right. And and I mean, Motown, the musical genre, which we know we, we've named after the label. The label itself, of course, a different entity. Sure. But th- that was pop music. Right. Uh, and it, it, he certainly had a role in in elongating Motown's life as a pop label because right. of his the things that he did. In the 70s, Motown, the label could have easily without him and without some of the stuff that Marvin Gaye put out in the in the early 70s could have just faded out because they couldn't transition into a different, you know, the new pop music or some other type of music into the 70s. I mean, they signed all of these artists. I, I love Motown, the musical style. I like Motown a lot. But there's not a lot of variance. No, mm-hmm. no, that's true. And you get these bands like the Temptations. You get you get grouped bands of one prominent singer for certain songs and backings. You know, you get a stylistic uh, blueprint, if you will. And without someone coming in like Marvin Gaye leaving the the standard Motown sound that he had in the '60s, Stevie Wonder leaving the standard Motown sound he had in the '60s and making these changes on that label. That label may have fizzled out, and who knows what would have happened. You know, things music may have been drastically different in the se- in the seventies, were it not for some people pushing that label forward, making some changes in that realm and in the sphere of influence it had. Tyler, you want to sh- shoot me your your favorite track? Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and play the song as off of Songs in the Key of Life. I'm glad you picked that song because that was one that really didn't stand out to me as much on Songs in the Key of Life. But listening to it, I realized that maybe I missed something. When you're listening to a double album, you're going to miss something. You know? That sits like right in the middle of it, too. So it's kind of getting that lost, that segment that's lost where you have to remind yourself to keep going. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty good tune. It's kind of this, you know, like I said, there's a varying sound almost track to track on that album sometimes. And that's the soul. That's the real soul sound. So. It's kind of one thing I find interesting is uh, the the part where the choral uh, bit comes in is a little more interesting in terms of variance, but the beginning part, even though I like this song, it's it's hard where we are today to think about that as new, because the stylistic right. of it in terms of pop music seems very common. You know, it doesn't seem super stand out in today's world, thirty years separated, but. At the time, you know, there was a lot to that. And it's it still sounds great. It's a good it's a great pop song. But it just it's it like it's a bit of a testament to the changes and to the, the longevity of the style that he had in that period. It's amazing to me how one man can come up with so many great melodies. Like we really 
there's not many artists that have come up with so many just bangers of a melody. You know? What a way to say it. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Very melodic melodies, indeed. Yes. Melodically arranged melodies of melodicy. I had a couple songs I wanted to mention that were interesting to me. I mentioned the song uh, that he did for the movie Sing Faith with Ariana Grande from a soundtrack. And he also did the song Kiss Lonely Goodbye for the Adventures of Pinocchio soundtrack in 1996. He then did the song True to Your Heart with 98 Degrees for the Mulan soundtrack in 1998. What an interesting thing. But uh, a song that was not on a soundtrack that I want to bring up is a cover uh, that was a Spotify single that came out in 2018. It was a cover of I Just Called to Say I Love You, his biggest song, according to Wikipedia, um, by John Prine. Oh, um, you want to play that? A person, I would like to, at least a little bit of it. Sure. Uh, somebody we covered for this podcast just a few short weeks ago, and he also uh, passed away due to that devilish disease. No New Year's Day to celebrate No chocolate-covered candy hearts to give away No first of spring No song to sing In fact, here's just another ordinary day No April rain no flowers bloom. That's pretty pleasant right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's better than the original, I ain't gonna lie. Oh my. Oh wow, what a, what a statement. I ain't afraid. John Prine's the good band. Wrong show. Oh, right. whoops. Jeez. He said that about his own pick. How, <laughs> how humble of him. <laughs> Alright, does anybody have any closing thoughts on Stevie Wonder at this point in time? I don't think so. I, I, I liked... Uh, the majority. I like the big songs. I like the other stuff too. It flowed relatively well, especially the big albums that we listened to. Um, I recognize how important he is to all of pop music, funk music, like, you know, all of that. Um, the come up is pretty cool, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, with everything he dealt with from child stardom to, a, a disability to all the other things as well. It's it's incredible the career he was able to build and is still building to this day and, you know, setting the groundwork for all of the people that we like in pop music now. You know, we wouldn't have The Weeknd and we wouldn't have um, other people that are big um, that we are listening to to this day. Blending R&B and soul and funk mm-hmm. into, into pop music. Yes. Yeah. I have a question for you, Caleb, specifically. Yes. I read that Stevie Wonder claims to have synesthesia. Oh, really? Is that, how does that work if you're blind? It depends on what uh, type of synesthesia he has. He might have color uh, sound synesthesia. So maybe he. Uh, do you want to explain what synesthesia is? Synesthesia is this experience of two senses simultaneously. So. Um, it could fall into any range of senses. It could be, it could be smell, taste. You smell something, you taste it. Mm. Like it, it, you could even um, sounds sometimes have shapes. Mm. Um, there are instances in which um, numbers and letters and like like dates and stuff have like a certain um, 
I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. Kind of like a location in space and time. It, it, there's a lot of different types of synesthesia. I don't. So it wouldn't of, not. It wouldn't necessarily just be reading. I had only heard of uh, uh, grapheme like, color. Sure, seeing color when you hear sound. Yeah. Oh no, that would grapheme colors when you see color like letters have colors. Oh no, that's um. I'm trying to remember the exact terminology. I mean, it's just, you know. I just knew you were some sort of expert on this. I did do research on synesthesia. Fun fact. Um, Yes. No, I don't don't know what type he has, so I can't, I cannot confirm nor deny. Hmm. I thought it was worth asking. It is interesting. I didn't, I did not know about that. I did not see that. I, I will say for Stevie Wonder, I was very impressed. I remember being a fan of his albums. I had never sat down and gotten through the entirety of Songs in the Key Life. My mistake. Amazing album. One of the best albums of the 70s, but like bar none. Um, I really enjoyed Inner Visions and I enjoyed Talking Book. Uh, you know, I enjoyed other things, but the, I mean, those three albums are just, they're a, a a cut above the rest, but they're cut above most of what I find to have been happening in the seventies in general. So Stevie wonder is a good, good artist. I have a lot of respect for him. He's good. He's good. I like intervisions. That's probably not where it, where it, it hits home for me. I think he hit a groove in that album that really did it. So, uh, definitely, definitely influential and certainly, uh, transformative i would say speaking of uh pastime paradise i feel like we should end the show with that because there's a sample in that song that's very important so i feel like that's how we should end it do you want to mention the sample really quick people will know it's it's gangsters paradise and amish paradise there you go. We're good. That's why I wanted. I think that we mentioned that we did, but we sample didn't play on the Weird Al. We yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we, did. we did not mention this, or we did not play. Maybe we did play Stevie Wonder. I don't know. We We're did. gonna play it here. It doesn't matter. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week we've been talking about Stevie Wonder, and next week we'll be talking about Queens of the Stone Age. Check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all social media bits. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash recordroundtable. Check out our website, recordroundtable.com, where we have articles and all of our episodes. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Living in the past time paradise.